I'm continuing a series, part two today, of the monumental three, faith, hope, and love. Hope is the oxygen of the human soul. Today we talk about hope and focus on it. 1 Corinthians 13, this massively important uh, biblical passage, one of the best known biblical passages in a secular world, gives us the definition of God's love. We'll, we'll, we'll move into there next week. And it closes with this triumphant statement. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. So these three great graces given to us as believers are elevated in scriptures to be above other things, to be primary, to be focused on, to be prioritized in our walk, in our life, in our experience with God. 28 years ago, I, was, I suffered through a manic, clinical, and suicidal depression, and the Lord reached down and rescued me. And he rescued me by sending the titans of heaven, faith, hope, and love. And what faith didn't conquer, hope did. And what hope didn't conquer, love did. And I found out that these graces, these virtues, and these blessings are so powerful, there's no life they can't lift. There's no heart they can't heal. There's no burden they can't remove. There's no stronghold they can't tear down. And there are gifts. There are blessings. And we have them as believers. Faith, hope, and love. And the Bible, there's a contrast between God's kind of love and man's kind, excuse me, God's kind of hope and man's kind of hope. Human hope is based on human circumstances, confirming signals. So I'm, I'm hopeful the Suns are going to win a game when they're up by 10 with uh, 90 seconds to go. And uh, I'm hopeful, I'm still hopeful that in my lifetime they're going to win a championship in Jesus' name, amen. And so I have hope based upon confirming circumstances. Enough things have lined up, and so my mind says, you know, something's going to happen there. Well, Bible hope comes from God's promises alone. The Bible says Abram had hope against hope. The against hope, the human hope, was he was 99 years old. You know, he was too old to have a baby. The kingdom hope was God said he would have a child. So he hoped in God's word and overcame his own circumstance. That's God's promise. The Greek word for hope is elpis, E-L-P-I-S. And it is such a beautiful word. It means the, the joyful expectation of good for the future. To joyfully expect good in the future. So hope then is this overarching atmosphere, environment, where my soul is with the constancy of, of believing the best is yet to come. That God's, wouldn't it be awesome, instead of looking for the next negative thing to happen, your soul's leaning the other way. I can't wait to see what God's going to do next. What good thing God's about to do. The joyful expectation of good in your future. I think it was Oral Roberts had on his desk a plaque that said, something good is going to happen to you. I believe that's true, and that's what hope tells us. Proverbs 13, 12, when the Lord started helping me unravel the complexity of the depression I was in, 
this was an important scripture because it tells us that our souls don't do well without hope. Hope deferred, it says this, makes our hearts sick. But desire, when it comes, causes us to rejoice. It's a tree of life. Hope, when it leaves, makes us depressed. Desire, when it comes, fuels us, feeds us, is life-affirming, life-giving. And so God says to us, you can't expect to have a healthy soul if hope is absent from it. And so as believers, God wants us to claim or reclaim the promise, the provision, the power of hope in our lives. Refusing to live hopeless lives. Amen? When hope walks out, depression walks in. Hope is the oxygen of your soul. So if, if suddenly the wor world was without oxygen, we would all, our bodies would die because we need oxygen to live. Your soul needs hope. To live and in the kingdom of God God's got it for you God's got plenty plenty of hope for you and so it's time for your heart to dream again it's time for your heart to sing again it's time for you to have this anticipation no matter what's happened in your world that something good is going to happen you know your heart's healthy when it dreams again I could tell the progress I was making when God could talk to me about the future in a positive way, and I would receive that signal. See, God's always sending things to you. When you're hopeless, you just don't receive them. When you're filled with hope, they're like seeds that grow and plant in your soul. Oh, it's so good. Romans chapter 15 says this about hope. There's two great verses in this chapter. The first one tells us the primary fuel system of hope is God's promise, God's word. Romans 15, 4 says, whatever things were written before Old Testament, he, Paul's now talking about the Old Testament, which was their Torah, their main scripture as the New Testament church, were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the scriptures, the Bible instructs me with wisdom, understanding, gives me knowledge, gives me insight, helps me order my steps, and it, it, it's a light. The, uh, Psalm 119 says, it's a light to my path, but it ultimately brings me to peace. And it brings me to peace because I have hope about my life. I just want to tell you, the best is yet to come in your story. Wherever you are in the journey of your life, God's not done. He's writing a new chapter. He's, he's completing some unfinished business. Well, past year has been 20 years. Oh, but the 21st year is going to be crazy. You, you, you can't give up on something God's not given up on. And so hope keeps us in the continuum of expectation until the arrival of a promise from God or a prayer or a vision. The 13th verse of this chapter gets even better. And it's a prayer. And he says this, now may the God of hope. I love it. Hope comes from God. Let me say it like this. The most optimistic person you'll ever meet is God. He looked into the darkness and said light. He looked at a sinful world and sent his son to save us. He looks at hopeless things and just breathes life into them. Let me say it like this. God 
never gives up on people. He never throws them away. He, God never says, uh, too much, too much. No hope for him. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's hope for a, a dog, a living dog. More hope for a living dog than a dead lion. And all I have to say is rough, rough. Okay? While you're living, there's hope. And the hope is the promise of God for your life. And God wants us to live in that environment. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Three important things. That, that hope brings my heart joy. Remember, hope is the joyous expectation of good for the future. So hope brings me joy for no reason except the promise from God, the presence of God, the goodness of God. So then it brings me peace. People that live in hope abide in peace. They know, well, things look messy now. I know God's going to work it out. So they live in this overarching authority, this overarching influence that says God's, God's working. So, so hope says we know all things are working together for the good of them that love God, called by his purpose. Hope says if it's not good yet, it only means God's not done yet. So hope carries us through storms because it sees to the other side. So may the God of peace fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Hope requires belief. Now here's the three things that, you, that I believe, it's not in your notes, so I'll, I'll give it to you, that require belief. Number one, you have to believe that God's large and in charge. You have to believe God's great, he's omnipotent, and he's sovereign. I'm sick of people always talking about the devil. Yeah, the devil this, the devil that, the, yeah, 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 yeah. God's great. He's, he's great. He's all power. David said it like this, all power belongs to God. David said, let me say it again, all power belongs to God. When I pray, I usually say that sentence twice every day. All power belongs to you. All power belongs to you. And the second thing we have to believe is that God is always good. If we doubt the goodness of God, it puts suspicions in our hearts about the promises of God. So you have to believe a good God does not lie to you when he gives you a promise. He's a promise keeper. His nature is good. The Bible says this in James chapter 1. God is so good, there's not even a shadow of evil or a shadow of contrast or a shadow of suspicion in his heart. Be not deceived, brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no shadow or variation. God's good on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. On my worst day, God's still good. When life is bad, God is good. When you can worship God for being good while you're going through something bad, you create a spiritual earthquake and give the devil 18 black eyes. That's, God is always good. Hope requires that belief. The third thing hope requires is that you believe the promises of God are sure. So that when you read them, you claim them. You claim them. You're his child. He's your father. He penned you his will. Here. You can have everything in here. You can have everything in here. So we want to read the Bible like it's written to us. Now, I, I, I hit this last week a little bit because there's a whole wave of, you know, uh, 
new, it's not new theological thought, it's just kind of archaic thought that says this. Oh, you know, there's, there's contextual realities in all these books. If you don't understand the context, you can't just claim the scripture that God will supply over needs by his grace. That was written to the church of Philippi. The church of Philippi is dead. They're all in heaven. They don't need that book. I need the book. So all scripture, the Bible says, is inspired by God. All of it. All scripture is inspired and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. So the Bible is living and powerful. It's written to you, okay? So the next part of the verse says this. That you may, let me say it again, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God says, I don't want you to just have enough hope to not sink in the ocean. I want you to have enough hope to build a, 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 a rescue boat for everyone around you. I want you to have so much hope, you're contagious, that you irritate the devil, and that, you ex and that, you're, that, that, you're, that you're unavoidably obvious in sociological behavior. It's like, you know, in American studies, the CDC did a study last year about what happened during COVID to teenagers. And they said, we have the highest mental unhealth numbers for teenagers we've ever had as a country. 48, 49% of the kids said they were suffering depression, high anxiety. They were feeling hopeless. 25% of them have contemplated suicide. 9% of American teenagers attempted a suicide. So that's, that's from 1% to, that's like a tenfold increase, maybe eightfold increase. So what's happened is our society has become an unsafe place for young people and children because the culture is chronically and faithfully spewing out hopelessness. You're not going to live. The climate change is going to kill you all. When I was a kid in school, we were going we to freeze. Now we're going to burn. Now, they get over. now it's just going to. I don't know about you. I mean, this is the mildest June we've had in 40 years in Arizona. Now, next week we catch up to normal, so don't get too happy. There's a hundred, 110 is coming. My, my wife likes the heat. Yeah, she's like, it's not hot enough. I go, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so God wants us. So, so we want to be, as believers, contending to be examples to a generation that's under siege. First generation in American history, Z's, who poll by majority they believe their lives will not be better than their parents. That's, that's kind of a, an American blessing, American tradition, American great, great gift that we have this generational promise. Now, let me just talk to young people. That's a lie. Your life can be awesome. And no one has control over it but God and you. And don't let anyone steal your dream. Don't never let someone who's given up on their dream destroy your dream. Never let someone filled with, 
with really just, just hatred and, and anger steal the promise of a beautiful future for your life. Come on, young people, the best is yet to come. And so it, it, it used to be, used to be you had to be like 50s, 60s, 70s to have a midlife crisis. That, you know, some, when life kind of catches up to you and when you don't deal with things, they catch up to you. Either physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, whatever it is. But now we're having teenage and 20-year-olds having midlife symptoms. Why? They've been oversaturated with media negativity. Psychological warfare, okay? So I want to pick on the media. Too. We, I, we have a couple people in media, and I said all media was evil. I'm wrong. Just the most, most of you are evil. <laughs> the people in my church are wonderful. Write good things about me. So God wants us to live in this world. Okay, next verse, Romans 5, verse 3. Great, the whole chapter is great. But 3 says this. Not only that, that we rejoice in the grace of God and the brings us salvation, we, we glory, we rejoice in tribulation. Tribulation. It's the word thiplets. It means pressure to squeeze something. It was used for olive presses or wine presses to turn grapes into wine, crush them. Olives crush them into oil. So thiplets means pressure that squeezes you. Let me say it like this. Pressure that squeezes whatever's in you out of you. How to your mama. So you find out what someone really believes when pressure comes. And so the Bible says rejoice. Rejoice when pressure comes. Why? You know something about it. Knowing what? That pressure produces perseverance. Everybody wants big muscles. Nobody wants to lift weight. Can't you just give me a shot for this? No, you, anything you endure, you get stronger at carrying. The longer you carry it, the stronger you get, the more weight you carry. So the way we overcome pressure is, is not by leaving every time it shows up. See, a, a generation's being told by the culture, things go wrong, just leave and start over, start a marriage, a life, a business, whatever. But, but, but you know, sometimes we have to. But most of the time, people leave before God's done with it. So if you don't learn to stay in something, every time God's about to bless you, the devil will put pressure on you, bring out the pressure card, and you'll run from something God's anointed you to break through in. When you learn how to handle pressure, you can fulfill your destiny. Okay? You can learn to fulfill your destiny. So... For all of us, God, God has that. So we, we, we rejoice in tribulation, knowing it, it makes perseverance. The early church called this word, endurance, perseverance, the queen of all virtue. They elevated it because they saw it's the massive implications of its presence in the life of the church. And then it says this, next part of it. And that perseverance produces proven character. So... So that's where we want to get to. We all want to get to Christ-likeness, character that reflects the nature of God. How do we get there? By enduring pressure. Come on, stay with me. So, so it's a big thing because when you can take a licking and keep on ticking, 
you're going to get to the promised land of a significant season of breakthrough in your life. So when we see it's what we know. So, so I can rejoice in pressure because I know what's on the other side of it. Character and hope. I know God's going to work it all for good. If it's not good yet, it only means God's not done yet. I, so that's what hope tells me. And so character, Christ-like, proven character is what I want. Character that stays, stays in a marriage, stays in a job, stays in whatever it is, stays in a place that God has for us. And then character produces what? Hope. The goal all along is to teach you to abide, to live, to stay, to dwell permanently in a place called hope. So the person who's going through a trial and is joyfully expecting good in their future, even though everything around them is signaling negative things or hurtful things or hard things, that's a person you should probably listen to. That's a person with proven character and perseverance that's developed and has rejoiced in difficulty. We don't rejoice. It, it, it is a perverse thing to tell people to rejoice in bad things and not give them the reward for doing so. God does not allow bad things and says, you better grin and bear this. You better smile while, you know, I'm twisting your arm. That's not God. God says, you can dance and rejoice because this is going to end up good. I'm going to work good in it. So when we end up at hope, when the devil can throw everything at you and you stay in hope, you win. Job's wife said, what are you doing? Why don't you throw in the towel and die and curse God and die? He said, no, I can't. Something in me won't let me give up. <laughs> Psalm 27 says this about, man, what a great chapter. The Lord's my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing have I desired, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple for a time of trouble. He will hide me in the secret place of his pavilion. And then he, then he inserts some honesty. I almost quit. I almost fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. When all hell broke loose in my life, something inside of me, planted by God, said, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. I almost fainted, but hope inside of me was relentless in its presence and power. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Hope is so powerful. It is so strong. It's stronger than the greatest discouraging event. It's stronger than depression itself. It's stronger than anxiety. Hope just cleanses our heart from those things. First Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love again. One of its attributes is love hopes all things. The more of God's love I experience, the more hope will abide as a permanent fixture in my soul. I have hope because I know I'm loved. 
See, it's impossible to believe, truly believe that God is good and then not to expect to see his goodness come into your life. Something good is going to happen to you soon. Preaching to myself and all of these Episcopalians today. First Thessalonians chapter 8, Paul once again addresses the the full armor of God, he talks about a couple of great things. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, righteousness described by these actions, these incredible behaviors of faith and love. And then he says, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The Roman soldier's helmet was amazing. It was very heavy, very thick. And they would put, full, they would put cork or some, some soft substance on the inside the Roman soldier's helmet could withstand a direct sword or axe blows. He can't see the guy sneak up behind him and takes an axe and just throws it right into his head. It won't penetrate the helmet. Hope is so powerful. The devil can throw the best thing he has at you and it won't get to your mind. It won't, it won't, it won't take you out. So when we have our helmet on, we're prepared for this wild and wacky world and Satan's cruel weapons. I got my helmet on. Got my helmet on. Stop waiting for the next shoe to drop and start waiting for the next miracle to drop. Okay? God's ready to do something. Got my helmet on. I'm, I'm covered. 2 Corinthians 10 describes that kind of experience. Calls it spiritual warfare. Verse 3 says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ. So what does hope help me do? It helps me get my mind right. And when my mind is right, Devil, look out. I'm on the same page as God. I'm, I'm, I'm in accord with God and moving in the way he wants to move and hearing him, believing him, and standing on his promises. Never give up territory that God has given you authority to keep. Hope stands ground. He says, no, I know this is messy. I know it looks bad, but God's about to turn it around. God's going to do something. God's, God's going to do it. The be, come on, turn to someone and say, the best is yet to come. Just tell them. Come on. Yeah. It's true. It's always true. Hope is attractive. It's inviting. It's persuasive. It's influential. The person with the most hope carries the most influence in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Hope blossoms in the fertile soil of a loved heart. People that have no dream will always wage war against the person who has a dream. That's the presence of hope against not having the presence. Last scripture. Isaiah 40 in the NIV translation says this. Do you not know God speaking to Isaiah? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. His understanding has no end. He is omniscient, all-knowing. 
He gives strength to the weary. Someone say amen. Okay. It's not a sin to be weary. It's a mistake to stay weary. Why? you got a strong friend who wants to help you. Okay. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the, of the weak. Even youths will grow weary and fall. But the next verse says this. But they that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run knuckle away, walk in that train. The word hope in the Old Testament is kovam. And kovam means to wait, means to hope with expectancy, hope, hoping expectantly. It means, it's root meaning, it means to take three pieces of cord and twist them together. To bind together by twisting. So let me say it like this. Those that twist their souls in the goodness of God. Those that bind their minds to the promises of God. Those that believe in the greatness of God. Those that join themselves to God renew their strength. And they start having this thing called unreasonable hope. David talks about it frequently because David faced depression. He faced oppression. He faced fear. He faced the, the, the whole range of human emotion. And he talks frequently about hope because David found the secret way to break out of depression. In Psalm 42, it's so interesting. He talks to himself. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? You ever talk to yourself? I'm so glad now we have like cordless phones because I talk to myself all the time and people used to think I was weird on the, on the road, you know, but now they just think I'm on the phone. I'm like, oh. <laughs> David said, why? Why are you disquieted? Why are you depressed is the Hebrew word. Why are you warring within me? And he says this, hope thou in God. David's slapping himself around. <laughs> Get your hope back. For his presence brings salvation. For there is salvation in the very presence of God. And hope will always bring us to a breakthrough point, overcoming whatever it is, discouragement, depression, anxiety. It's been an honor to talk with you today. I'm going to pray a prayer for you, but I'd like you to stand to your feet, please. Prayer team, if you join me down front. I'm going to pray that prayer from Romans 15, 13. That Paul prayed for the church in Rome. I want to pray it for you today, the church in Phoenix. I pray in the mighty, matchless, exalted name of Jesus that the God of hope would flood your soul with joy and peace in believing and that you would superabound with hope through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I say it's time for hope again. I call it forth in Jesus' name. It's in you. It's from God. He hasn't taken it away. He hasn't changed his mind. And he's ready to, to reacquaint you with the joy, the peace, the rest, and the victory that hope itself brings. Hope is living in victory before circumstances confirm it. So, Lord, thank you. I pray for anyone battling discouragement. Lord, today we declare freedom to them.
For anyone battling depression, freedom to you. By the grace of God, the hope he gives you. Let every lie be dismantled and torn down. And I pray for breakthroughs in your life. In the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that God would make you a witness to your family, your workforce, your neighborhood, your school, that people would see something different about you, that a, a culture that has elevated misery to be a virtue, that you would go contrary to it and be a hope-filled, a joy-filled, a peace-filled believer. Peter said it like this, be ready to give a defense when people ask you for the reason of the hope that is in you. God, let hope witness to the community we, that we serve in, we live in, we abide in. Your hope, Jesus. Your hope. Amen.